if I wanted to build banking game on a, on a blank sheet of paper, I would I would start with the purpose and saying, what are we doing here in terms of serving this clients, individuals, users, members? If they could be like the Apple Store for financial services, in my mind, that's where I think financial services have a place. Hello, and thanks for joining us on Banking Remix, the new podcast from Veritran. I'm your host, Katie Janos-Small, the founder and editor of Upana. On this podcast, we talk to leaders in digital finance about how traditional banking is being remixed, how it's being spun together with new technologies, concepts, and data with the aim of creating better customer experiences and more intuitive, integrated services. I'm delighted to welcome on the show today, Manolo Sanchez. Manolo is the former chairman and chief executive of BBVA Compass, and he has advised numerous banks and fintechs on digital transformation. Currently, Manolo sits on the board of directors at Fannie Mae, and he teaches MBA and executive MBA courses on digital disruption and finance at the Jones Graduate School of Business at Rice University. Manolo, it's a pleasure to have you here to discuss what makes banking innovation succeed. Thank you, Katie. Likewise, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you for having me. So to kick off, tell us briefly about some of the initiatives that you're involved with currently, Manolo. Yeah, so I think um, I basically I like to say that I do three things I teach, as you mentioned, I, which gives me a lot of, it's a great opportunity to structure some of my thinking around fintech, cryptocurrencies and blockchain, which are the, the spaces that I spend my time with students. Uh, but also um, the, the board work that I do, public and, and private boards, um, it's, it's also a way to <clears throat> uh, stay on top of some of the, the trends in the, in the financial services arena. And then finally, spent quite a bit of time with startups at different, in different sort of stages <clears throat> and quite a few of them in the blockchain and crypto space. So that's, uh, I'd say, a little multitasking retiree here that has a, a, lot, of going, a lot of activity. Sounds super interesting. Tell me about some of the projects that you've been most uh, proud to work on during your career. Yeah, well, at BVVA, I basically only worked for BVVA, uh, my only employer out of grad school for almost 30 years. So um, my career would have been with that organization. And I had uh, definitely the, uh, the buildup of the US operation for BVA is what I'm most proud of. Uh, you know, we bought six banks, uh, kind of mostly before the financial crisis and although we we bought an organization as well from the FDIC uh, during the crisis but just putting together the third large actually the third largest bank in Texas uh, or the fourth actually the fourth largest bank in Texas uh, that was that in the second largest economy in the country and then you know as a you know, I like to say jokingly that the, the the financial crisis came with the birth of the iPhone as well. And so in that summer of 2007, we all uh, rode that amazing opportunity to really rewrite banking for, for uh, uh, you know, handheld devices and <clears throat> for, for banking in your pocket, which really is what I'm most proud of, is having built the uh, digital banking and, and uh, mobile services for BVA, which are award-winning uh, apps. Um, tell me a bit more about that. You know that that um, that process with the birth of the iPhone and and um, you know back at that moment in time when when the iPhone was so new, how did you approach that project of of adapting banking for that new technology? So um, at the time there was teletext uh, text banking with SMS and it was very counterintuitive. Of course, 
there was the uh, BlackBerry uh, that was had been around for for a number of years, but the iPhone really brought uh, uh, you know was this uh, an merger of devices. You know, it was the iPod, it was the phone, it was the camera, and uh, the, when the iPhone came out, the only banking app on it was Bank of America. It came out with that. Uh, there was a few apps, and there was in the newspapers, and we wanted to be in that, on that. So one of the decisions I got to make real quickly is like we went our app on the iPhone in two thousand seven, and we did. I just got a vendor to write it for a few thousand dollars and and really um, really pushed my organization really hard to to get adopt uh, this new um, platform and uh, and the time people were really addicted to the blackberry I mean remember the keyboard was a major hassle people were like okay well never my fingers are not meant to do this and but it was I remember my I gave my management committee for for Christmas a present took all the blackberries away and gave everybody an iPhone it was a bit of a revolution uh, was a bit of a revolt there uh, and, but I'm just touching on some anecdotes to tell you was we were really early in, in trying to write this and then of course as you know BBA was an early uh, player really in in collaborating with fintechs we bought simple as you know uh, which was the first neobank bank um, that was really for sale. Uh, and then BVBA, we set up a venture arm in, in California, which um, incidentally was on the Coinbase, I believe, C round, uh, among other things, investor in Coinbase, uh, DocuSign. So we were able to, I think the combination of in-house work, kind of rewriting uh, banking for the digital era and the mobile era, more, more specifically, which took a lot of innovating we had big system decisions to own our own destiny in that space and then also be among the pioneers who really come near the fintech players and wanted to learn from them also wanted to partner up with them eventually bought some of them so fast forward to 2021 and what's something that you've learned about digital finance that's maybe surprised you over the past 12 months I think the thing that's that surprised me the most uh, has been the, the the rise of DeFi, um, decentralized finance in the in the crypto space. You know, I've been teaching um, a, a specific course on crypto and blockchain for now almost uh, three years, and we've been looking at this. Uh, my favorite website is defipulse.com, which sort of tracks all the assets that are locked into contracts by either. You know the different types of DeFi platforms, whether it's lending platforms or, de- or decentralized exchanges, and we were showing this to our students, and there was like you know a couple hundred million uh, assets uh, locked in these. I mean, literally like less than a year ago. And we go back to our prior slides from a year before, the semester before. We just seen this amazing delta, and clearly, what's happened is that suddenly there's two trillion dollars worth of value in crypto assets, and what we're seeing is really the birth of a financial system alongside this asset. Um, naturally, people want to be able to lend those assets. They want to borrow them. They want to be able to exchange them. So you have banking on steroids, um, uh, trading platforms on steroids. I mean, they're not on steroids. They're just trading platforms, but they are, they're built for crypto assets. And the growth and the innovation is just phenomenal. I encourage everybody to spend time understanding some of these platforms, whether it's Compound or Aave or Uniswap. Uh, the growth is phenomenal. And it is really, these are the building blocks of what a financial system um, means or the birth of a financial system that, that services crypto assets. So what, what does this mean for traditional banks? Where does that leave 
traditional financial institutions. Um, how do you see that playing out, the decentralized finance versus traditional? Is, is, it a, is it a them versus us kind of thing? Or is it a, um, I don't know, tell me, what, how do you see that, that playing out? Well, I think the big, the big breakthrough that I think uh, that comes before decentralized <clears throat> leisure technologies and what, what that creates in terms of uh, ability for us to create self-executed organizations, decentralized organizations from so many different things, not just in finance, is the idea of programmable money. And I think that's something that the banks want to spend time chewing on, this idea that <clears throat> we have the ability to create code and uh, that allows for transactionality attached to a currency. And this programmability of money comes with the convenience of you know 24-7, but it also comes with the convenience of uh, having uh, counterparties just operate in a very secure, very transparent way without the need for a central authority. And that is, that is something that I would say banks should be afraid of. Because um, what I hear, when I hear, I mean, we saw the, uh, the meeting at, uh, at Omaha, like two weeks, uh, I think that was last weekend. And, and this, this, the leaders of the financial world and the leaders of, uh, you know, they're often asked about cryptocurrencies or Bitcoin, and they come up with, I would say, I don't know if it's the journalists that are picking the wrong headlines, but they're not really supportive. They're making people, they, they tend to um, throw a shadow of doubt on, if sometimes even the legality and the incentives and the and the structure of, of this, and I think that's that's something that this. If people are still there, they need to. They should have turned the page a while a while back. But um, if they to answer your question, if if banks don't feel they have a place in the decentralized financial system, which I th I would disagree with that, and I'll tell you why in a second. I, they definitely need to start understanding what programmable money means for their solutions, whether it's letter of credit execution and they've been they've been prototyping these things for a while it's not like the banks haven't tried this before but now with two trillion dollars of locked assets into this we may be at that we may be close to that network effect where it, make, it becomes like no longer something on the shelf but something that, that that you get to work on and the issue of whether banks wanted to be part of the centralized world i think that it's a very natural place for banks to be the banks are operating atm networks they're operating um Debit card switch networks. Uh, they operate the NACHA, the, uh, the, the you know the the, the domestic wire transfer um, system. Why would not? Why would, couldn't they operate nodes um, and and be part of? It could be supporting clearly some of this cryptocurrency infrastructure. At the end of the day, it's all infrastructure. It is it is value infrastructure. It's the Internet of Value, and therefore it is. In a way, it's the payment infrastructure of the century, and and I think the banks have a, a role to play there. If you were, you know, if you were still in charge of a bank, what would you be doing in this regard? I think I would be facilitating uh, my clients' uh, ability to, you know, own these assets and to be able to trade them. Uh, simple as that. Um, and then I would definitely take care to make make sure that I because there's a bifurcation and I think you I think everybody's aware that there's the cryptocurrency side of this infrastructure, but there's also the centralized ledger, the, the more the blockchain side of things. 
And I think banks have a lot of uh, efficiencies as well as, you know, upgrades to their user experience and seamlessness of process if they adopt blockchain technology, whether it's in things like trade finance or international wire transfers. There's so many places where they could be using the infrastructure or even real estate. I mean, um, you know, blockchain is, 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 is an ideal application of, uh, say, title transfers and there's so many aspects where there could be a lot of experimentation so i would i would have a very um i mean aggressive uh sort of strategy to to play in the space and it doesn't have to be a fortune i mean i know some people banks are worried about resources deployed to uh, technology that may be either uh, too early or, or it's an it's it may be an it may be unclear how uh, what the adoption curve may be i think this is this is something that, that uh, you can play at different um, levels of resource deployment and, and still have that kind of R&D um, sort of uh, vector to it, which I would encourage people to do. So if we talk about digital transformation, maybe more generally um, from the point of view of, of financial institutions, what do, you, what do you see as being the biggest hurdle for, for traditional institutions, for banks, um, as, as digital finance evolves? What's their biggest challenge? Yeah, and I think the biggest issue I see is this massive unbundling um, of financial services. And when, depending on which financial market you're looking at, particularly if you're looking at the US, the US is already a very fragmented value chain. You know, banks have been disintermediated over many parts of the value chain for decades. The way they're, because of the monoliners in the 90s, whether it was in the auto industry or in the credit card industry, and even in mortgages, Banks were pushed out the value chain by folks with, uh, you know, lighter on capital, more agile in so many different ways. But this has accelerated dramatically. I keep it. I, I keep a survey with my students: how many apps you use to do your financial services on your phone. And you know, when you you take a very broad view of financial services, including insurance and, and investments, um, you you have a you know, the next generation, or I guess the millennials, basically, you're looking at 30 to 40 apps, somebody with international activity, with uh, somewhat, um, you know, a multi-vendor type approach to investments, uh, whether they're doing international wire transfers. I mean, think about it, we're using an app just to do ACH. I mean, hopefully just use one or many, Venmo, for example. I mean, that's, that should blow anybody's mind that it's just using one app with a full uh, process of, you know, onboarding yourself to that just to be able to pay people. And that uh, unbundling of the process is, I think it's the biggest problem for financial institutions. The incumbents are going to be, if, they, if, if the, the game plan was to eat away the, the, into the revenue pools and the, and the value chain, of of the incumbents, it's happening in a way that's very counterintuitive, uh, because although it started with in the with the big renewables like PayPal, PayPal went to the, after the credit card Square, now it's going to as I said using the same example ACH or look at TransferWise in a way at the international uh, um, wire market, which with in, a, in in a very disruptive way, which banks are struggling to compete because they have deconstructed an international payment into into two domestic transactions, you probably know, TransferWise, uh, or WISE as it's called nowadays. Well, so this is a big problem. Now, there's always been this bundling, unbundling tide, right, in banking. 
international, you know, so, you know, we've seen this waves, you know, bank assurance, um, became fashionable, then it doesn't become fashionable because the, the, the cross-sell dynamics work or do not work. Clients have a different perception about what is the, the benefit of a one-stop shop financial services model. Uh, but truthfully, um, the, the, I think the Apple store, the uh, Google Play store has made, we're so accustomed to like consuming uh, very limited functionality by just downloading one app and suddenly we are ready to go and disconnect from my traditional supplier of that service. Um, and that's where I think banks will be struggling, trying to regain their space because of course, these fintechs, once they, they came up with this superb uh, new customer experience for uh, the sliver, right? Whether it's in the stage, what they're gonna do next, they're gonna try to sell you a debit card and the, and the checking account. So they are going for, uh, for the adjacent territory. So they're actually trying to rebuild the bundle somehow to stay, uh, you know, to, to get the economies of concentrating a, a relationship around their product and their new beloved relationship with this user, right? So I think this is where we're gonna see a bit of the war and I'm not sure that the incumbents have the winning position for this. I mean, I'm, I'm generalizing because the incumbent campus has got many f spaces, right? You got the big wind center banks, they have huge brand awareness and big resources, but but even they, I think, will will have a hard time keeping up with all this innovation that's that's eating away at this little functionality that people seem to sign up for. Do you think that, I mean, how do you think banks should be responding to this? Do you think they should be trying to gain back some of that market share or looking at new business models, maybe a bit of both? Um, what do you think the, the, the ideal response is for, for financial institutions to that unbundling? I think they have to, uh, basically, a part of it is, getting their services to be truly uh, operational in, on digital platform and a seamless straight through way, you know, that it doesn't have all these other double touches and, and um, human intervention in the background, which is what, you know, when something doesn't work in some of this process, you suddenly get a phone call or, uh, or, you know, suddenly your, your document is, is into a review process. So, I think that that's one point, uh, you know, the true, so in that digital transformation that it may be either still in process, half-baked, that needs to get accelerated. And the problem is that the standards that are being set by the fintechs is very high in terms of quality of user experience, in terms of, um, you know, having the straight through uh, solution. That's one way that I think that uh, that's in a bit, a bit table stakes. The other issue, I think, is that to combat this is my personal opinion so i don't i don't know that the, some people may disagree with this i think the probably the the way you stay relevant is when the, what is the, the the supermarket model it's ultimately it's not very convenient because particularly in financial you have to onboard yourself to everyone's little apps you know i'm going to do international wire transfer first wire transfer is going to get into a kyc sort of a buckle and i'm going to have to call in i'm going to somebody i'm going to Take a picture of my passport. You get the point, right? Here's my address. Here's my bill. So it, to, to turn all these little slivers of functionality, or slivers of value chain and make them your own them to your, say, a more sophisticated user, you started deploying, uh, say, your business from the traditional institution to this to this fintech. It takes time to get onboarded and have all the clearance to operate fully. So I think financial institutions have the ability to regain 
if they could be like the Apple Store for financial services, that's where I think, um, in my mind, that's where I think financial institutions have a place. Some of them should be like making, you know, plugging them through their, you know, through their. I mean, at the end of the day, what they own is that KYC. I know this client. I mean, this this client can transact within my platform. But suddenly this client doesn't want to use my brokerage. It wants to go into Robinhood, right? Or this client doesn't want to do international wire transfers and spend five days to get it through. It wants to go through WISE and do it in 24 hours. So to the extent you can enable that supermarket uh, or that, you know, this, this new functionality that is in a way competing with you and make it part of your platform because you have the advantage of having that KYC uh, I think that may be the way that you can help rebundle. So it's not really the same rebundling. It's it's a new it's a new architecture potential. But that's just the thought. I haven't seen anybody really try to do this um, uh, in earnest. It's an interesting idea, though. They, then the banks kind of own the, like you say, the KYC, the digital identity um, of their users, and and can ultimately offer them an even better user experience by linking in with a lot of these third parties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So if you were to remix banking, right, to go to the theme of our podcast, if you were to remix banking, um, add a single element to a traditional financial institution to prepare it for the future, what would that element be? What do you think is the main element that that could be used to remix banking? I think ultimately, the uh, in addition to all these things we've been talking about, functionality and in the greater innovation that's happening because of fintech companies and, and some banks as well, just really kind of rewriting um, all these financial services for the reconvenience or the new convenience of, of a 24-7 bank in your pocket. I think the, the other thing that's missing here is, is, is a bit of the purpose of financial services. And I think uh, this I think this is a theme out there in terms of financial health. I think there may be. Um, I think that if I wanted, if I if I wanted to build banking game on a on a blank sheet of paper, I would I would start with the purpose and saying, which is a it's a bit of a cliche this day and age, but it's about what are we doing here, in terms of serving these clients, individuals, users, members. Uh, we're trying to help them prosper and be able to take care of their financial needs and grow as people, as households, as, you know, individuals. They're trying to, you know, you know the drill. They're trying to go to college and pay for education. They're trying to put together their family. They're trying to, at one point, retire. And, and, and you know, so having those tools. And that's been really, I think that's been really uh, evasive for, for banks and, and very few fintechs have really had success on this because the I think the it's a it's still clunky to get your budgeting tools or your you know your uh, planning tools. But ultimately, I think that the folks that will uh, be able to dumb this down to where it's so intuitive that uh, and it's so uh, sort of actionable that you know by starting a relationship with this particular vendor or bank institution, I'm going to be able to better control my finances and these other tools that I'm seeing I'm able to touch and and access uh, this. How do I get to this particular financial outcomes? I think that's really what I would bring back to the to the mix. And there are some organizations trying that really well. I just, um, 
I think that I haven't seen enough of that probably and, and, and not get the killer one. So that sort of goes to customer centricity, right? I guess the purpose is that fundamental building block of, of putting the customer at the center of what you of what you do, which is something that, that maybe fintechs, would you say, do that a little better than, than banks? Well, they definitely uh, have a better, um, they're willing to sacrifice a lot of things for, for the uh, best customer experience. Uh, I think credit unions, for example, have a great role to play in this in this environment as well. Uh, mutualize financial institutions and in, uh, overseas uh, folks that really have kind of a different set of incentives and uh, can roll this kind of um, very intuitively. Be very easy for them to to roll this kind of um, uh, platforms. But yeah, at the end of the day, we all struggle with. Uh, I mean, financial our financial needs. Are really the engine right behind you know any anybody's economy, anybody's sort of life plan. I think that's where that's what banks and fintechs are experts at, and that's where they should make sure that they're providing that in a way that is what what folks are expecting in this in this century. Super. So, final question to look forward to the future, Manolo. How do you see our kids and our grandkids um, managing their money? How's how will they be managing their financial lives um, when they when they when they grow up, I think they're going to have. Um, I mean, I think the main difference maybe in the infrastructure in, in terms of infrastructure, I envision something more like what we're seeing with um, digital currency wallets uh, or crypto wallets, and you know, I probably have an ability to maybe uh, what I see some folks um, envisioning around uh, you know wallets that have a payment layer or a, you know, a, a, an operational layer and a asset or reserve asset layer. And I think that's um, a simplified world of that nature where you have your assets and you have your payment infrastructure in a very simple and very intuitive way. Um, it's definitely something that, that the next generation is going to see um, that kind of um, sort of bi-dimensional bi sort of um, uh tool or, or infrastructure for them to, to, to do their banking. So definitely something around the size of what, what cryptocurrencies look like today. I think that's how they're going to handle it. I would say that they're going to have a lot of expert advice as well. And it's going to come in in ways that uh, it'd be like what we know today, just uh, more um, remote and remotely engaged. Uh, I think banks will have to up their game on that and on deploying their humans in different ways. And then, We've been talking about that for a long time, but it really hasn't happened. And then, um, of course, there's all this um, AI, I mean, just robotized uh, advice that's going to be very, very efficient going forward. So that, that's some of the things. That's what I can do for for Crystal Ball. <laughs> Super. <laughs> Manolo, thanks so much for joining us today on Banking Remix by Veritran. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Likewise, I wish you all the best with this uh, program and I and uh, thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Banking Remix by Veritran. Be sure to subscribe to the series in Spotify, Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud so you'll be the first to hear the next interview. Until then, keep up with the latest in digital finance on Vnext, that's Veritran's blog, where the team discusses news and trends in banking transformation. Don't miss it. Head over to veritran.com slash blog. 
Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Banking Remix Insights.